Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 220 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. I'm Robin Warner, and I am once again joined by the multi-talented, multicultural, and multi-limbed Christopher Roche. Hello, Chris. Hello, Robin. How is uh, how is everything post Thanksgiving? Uh, it's it's just it's fine and dandy. I'm slowly but surely getting off my sugar high uh, that was provided by several pieces of pie and many other things. So uh, I am surviving, and you? Very well. Just uh, coming from down from the alcohol binge. That is uh, that does seem to be the more common way for a Brit to get his sugar intake. Yeah, why why consume it any other way? Especially when you have two children. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I definitely I had my fair share of uh, wine. The, we have a friend that likes to join us uh, for Thanksgiving, and uh, her offering is mimosas and uh, you know just straight champagne. So anyway, uh, let's start with the most obvious and important thing: um, Lewis Hamilton has his own emoji app. Really? To complement the new logo? <laughs> you know, this might be older than the logo. I'll be honest with you. I'm not certain about that part. But it's called the Hamoji. And it's just various pictures of Lewis Hamilton. Some looking serious. Some being a little bit more lighthearted. <laughs> Team LH. Faith. Family picture of his dog and uh, all kinds of fun stuff it's not free it's a dollar 99 wow yeah and uh and it's really something you could have there's an emoji of lewis hamilton giving the kissy face and there's a bunch of little red hearts all around there's an emoji of Hamilton with dollar signs for eyes and a green tongue with a dollar sign in the center of it there's a there's a picture of Lewis Hamilton just pointing at you. Yeah, it's not sounding great, I have to say. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to be signing up for that. I'll keep my buck ninety nine in my pocket. I think just a dollar ninety nine. What is that? A, a pound fifty? Come on, that's not that's nothing for for yeah. Mister LL. I mean, I'm half surprised you didn't invent this app. <laughs> um, yeah. So as I've I think gone on record before, I am a huge fan of Lewis Hamilton, the race car driver. Um, but there's some aspects to his personality that I don't fully embrace. But, of course, he, he can do whatever he wants, uh, and he does, and good for him. But, uh, you know, we can uh, we could take some of it, we could leave some of it. <laughs> well, uh, maybe just like my attempts at being anglified, maybe the best of intentions, but there's just some misses in uh, amongst them. So, yeah, such as that. But uh, the race, it did indeed happen. Um, we have many results from that race that I think are worth talking about. But um, to me, uh, there wasn't anything that really stood out in qualifying um, other than uh, Valtteri Botas being uh, on the pole. Yeah, did a good job. Um, beat Hamilton fair and square. Uh, no doubt about that. Hamilton was uh, looking feisty in his last run in Q3 he was up in the first two sectors but uh, 
made a couple of mistakes in Sector 3 and, and couldn't get it done. So, yeah, fair play to Botas. Well, could, and uh, Botas's time in the early runs of Q3, he also could match it himself. I mean, that was a bonkers lap he pulled off early on in Q3. Yeah, no doubt. It was a good effort. He was um, he was on it all weekend, back to form for Botas right at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh, I I just I saw... What here's what I think happened. Uh, you know, Nico Rosberg was in Abu Dhabi. He was with Mercedes, and my guess is that Nico Rosberg gave him a couple of qualifying tips, and like this, look, this is how you really get it done. And he he got his inner Rosberg flared up and and put it on pole. Uh huh. So the comment that I have, uh, I think, that's a little bit more <laughs> relevant. <laughs> is is if you look at the top uh, eleven qualifiers. So Botas down to Alonso. Um, there were only two changes in the order, in the finishing order. So uh, Alonso got ahead of Massa, so he finished ninth and Massa finished tenth. And poor old Daniel had no luck at all and dropped out. Otherwise, everyone basically finished where they started, other than they gained a place because Ricardo uh, dropped out or Alonso made an overtaking manoeuvre. So, you know, it's pretty... T, um, in, you know, it says a lot about the track, doesn't it? It's the fact that Hamilton was within 0.3 of a second at one point in the race um, and couldn't get the job done says a lot about Sector 3 in particular. He lost, um, I think, almost a second trying to follow Botas closely through Sector 3. Now, he could have made a mistake, but, but it's not an easy place to pass. Uh, even with two long DRS zones. And uh, Hamilton said it himself in the post-race de- uh, sort of uh, toweling section of the track where he said, uh, yeah, they need to change the track layout because you can't pass. And I agree with him. It's bizarre that Abu Dhabi has two long straightaways and yet has such a layout that it's really difficult to pass. And modern cars, it's incredibly important to uh, have a track layout that suits it because braking distances are so much shorter and aerosensitivity is as high as it's ever been that uh, you need that. Now, my personal opinion is I would I would rather see less aero dependency, less aerosensitivity, and more mechanical grip and more aerodynamics from the floor and uh, allow, allow the cars to be close to each other that way. That would be my, if I could do it my way, uh, wish. But uh, it's certainly true that there's many tracks where it's easier to make a pass than Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. I mean, it's um, a splendid-looking track in many respects. But it doesn't... Um, I mean, we've had one or two half-decent races there, haven't we? But uh, but I don't think 2017 will go in my must-watch-again-sometime-soon uh, catalogue. So, unfortunately. But, um, you know... It doesn't uh, diminish Botas's effort. I, I did the highlight for me was the synchronized donuts. So if they could do that after every Grand Prix, I'd quite like that, frankly. I thought it was I, what I really enjoyed. It was Felipe Massa got into the mix and uh, did some donuts of his own and met uh, the Mercedes boys on the front straightaway and kind of gave some congratulations slash goodbyes and. It's kind of funny. I see two sides of it. In one way, it's like, okay, Felipe, I get it. You're retiring again, and uh, you're making 
you're making yourself known. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, all right, he's he's just he's having a good time. He's being engaged. So I I can see both sides of it. But I I did get a kick out of uh, multiple people doing donuts and uh, having uh, the joy of it. But you know, I think that that actually interesting enough leads into what I found a little odd how they um, they being Liberty Media, the new owners of Formula One showed on the podium and of course also on televisions throughout the world the new 2018 F1 logo and you know kind of starting to like stir up excitement for 2018 and donuts afterwards is the type of thing that is more of an American thing that maybe we'll see more of it'll be certainly not discouraged anymore Um, but also new logo what do you think well, I think they only did the donuts because they knew they didn't have to save the engine or transmission for subsequent races, right? So the sad thing is, is that next year we'll have three engines for the whole of 21 races. So you're not really going to see a lot of donut action until Abu Dhabi 2018, uh, which is a little little bit of a shame. Um, and on that point i do think botas demonstrated a higher donut skill than hamilton no doubt he was able to get a nice a nice full spin whereas hamilton was sort of doing a, like a j turn um so definitely there's some work to be done in the close season for lewis but um so yeah, between the logo... between the <laughs> hamilton emojis and his lack of donut capability he's really falling off for you yeah, the four-time world champion bit kind of recovers that without too much, too, <laughs> too well, much trouble, though. <laughs> oh, you're you're just so easily wooed by a one-trick pony, Chris. I, I'm, I'm yeah, sad I know. For you can just keep winning those championships. I'll forgive a lot. So um, <laughs> the new logo, yeah, I have to say, uh, I like the old one, but I don't hate the new one as much as some people seem to. Yes, it. Uh, I can understand why they did it. I think they're going to try and put their stamp across the sport in many different ways. And this is an obvious one to start with. Um, I think we'll grow to get used to it over time. I, and I, I didn't have a problem with previewing next year and introducing a logo. Honestly, I thought that was far more controversial than I expected. And there's some really diehard traditionalists out there, including, you know, Vettel and Hamilton themselves, who both came down pretty hard on the new logo. So, yeah, yeah. I was quite amused by the reaction. I, I I have a pretty strong opinion on that, actually. So, first of all, let me say that Americans love marketing. And Americans are quite good at marketing. Uh, you know, if you look at logos and trademarks and advertising, you know, Americans uh, spend a lot of time and effort on that. And uh, as a result, have a very successful consumer market. I also know... So, what I'm getting at is it's no surprise to me that new American owners would want to have a freshened logo, as in that the previous logo had been around since 1993. It was a very good logo. I'm certainly not um, saying the old logo was bad, but uh, logos getting updates on uh, on occasion is pretty common, even amongst car companies. The second part of it is just people, they just don't like change. And so... When all of a sudden you're experiencing change and you're experiencing change that Americans are bringing, um, in Europe, I think that's pretty quick to go into a negative space. So you'll forgive my 
cynicism at all the bad things people have to say about the logo and how terrible it is. And someone said it looked like Formula I to them and all this kind of stuff. I I just I don't have I don't have much patience for that. And I think it's just uh, we fear change and uh, anything that's different is automatically bad. I think there's also a concern that Formula One is going to become NASCAR. And um, how? Nobody, how will nobody it really wants NASCAR? that. Tell me but I how. Agree, yeah. I, I, I've heard that Lewis Hamilton said something like that. Yeah. I, I, where, where, where are these massive leaps coming from? You know, well, you saw that press release where all the circuits are going to be mildly modified so you can only turn left. Did you see that one? Oh my god! <laughs> all it, it's more likely that Donald Trump becomes the greatest diplomat in the world and that Britain leaves Brexit then uh, Formula One is going to inch anywhere closer to NASCAR other than um, bizarre uh, traditionalists that find these tiny little nuanced things that they say, oh, see, that's totally NASCAR. And NASCAR has changed so much in the last 10 years, it doesn't even look like its old former self. So I don't even know how you could say uh, it's becoming NASCAR because NASCAR is itself so fluid. So if Britain leaves Brexit, that's Brexit exit or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't have any problem with Formula One becoming a little bit more savvy, a bit more uh, 21st century in how they market themselves. Um, and um, yeah, I really don't have an issue with the new logo. And, um, you know, they. I think if Michael Buffer did all 21 races, that might be a bit much. Um, so I think a bit more regionalization or local character at each race would be would be great. Um, I mean, what do you make of having, you know, the same couple of drivers do the post-race interviews? I mean, we had Brundle and Coulthard in Abu Dhabi, which I thought was a bit mysterious that they rolled those two out again. To me, I, I quite like having, I mean, obviously we don't have, Abu Dhabi doesn't have a long history of F1 drivers, but... Um, I do like it when you have a, you know, a Brazilian interview, uh, the podium in Brazil, for example. Uh, so I was a bit disappointed that they don't keep that sort of regional or local flavor going at all the races. But, um, yeah, I, it's not going to be na- become NASCAR. People need to stop freaking out. And by, uh, you know, the third race in the next year, they'll have forgotten the whole controversy about the new logo, I, I suspect. Yeah, there'll be a new, uh, you know, Toro Rosso will be mad at Honda that Honda is giving them bad engines. It's like, oh, shocker that uh, the engines aren't perfect. What a bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I completely agree with you, and I appreciate uh, hearing that perspective. Uh, um, yeah, I, it's just, I think... Because there's, I mean, here's here's the most important thing. Chase Carey and uh, Liberty Media in general is trying to give Formula One more access to the fans. Uh, you know, trying to make Formula One more accessible, trying to make Formula One more opal, open, less formal. To me, if you think that's more NASCAR, then fine. It's getting a little bit more NASCAR because, you know, fans' access uh, to Nats- NASCAR pits and paddock is worlds uh, more open than Formula One. And, you know, they are trying to drift that direction a little bit. But I don't I don't see a downside there. You know, it, Lewis Hamilton ran through, you know, a crowd of 5,000 Mexicans, and he was okay. That was kind of an accident, and he still managed just fine. Got a few kisses and a glass of champagne at the end of it. So I don't... I don't see what the problem is with making Formula One a bit more fan accessible. And uh, you'll forgive, I clearly I clearly have um, 
a bit of bias being an American myself, but I, I have a hard time with people uh, just jumping in so much negativity so quickly. I agree with you up to a point. I think it can become forced. And I'll give you an example. So that for, for those that don't get to watch the fantastic uh, F1 coverage here in the States put on by NBC uh, Sports Network, which really is not bad coverage at all, because I've been here long enough that I've seen some very dodgy coverage in, in my time. And NBC does a, does a decent job. Most of the sessions are live. They have a uh, good commentary lineup. Um, and they, they mostly do a pretty good job. But, they, you know, we do have to contend with adverts, which is a problem. Um, so it breaks up the racing. They do the side-by-side. But, you know, sometimes they go to full adverts, which uh, isn't ideal if you're actually trying to watch the whole race. But they also have introduced this thing, which I thought was great to start with, but now I completely hate. So now they've started interviewing Zach Brown from McLaren during live sessions. They do it during qualifying and the race, and they've been doing it for quite a few Grand Prix this season. That's right. And my problem with it is, first of all, all of the commentators seem to have been told that they have to be very, very grateful. So for the first 35 seconds, they just tell Zach what a great guy he is and thanks for doing this. Meanwhile, the race is carrying on with no commentary. And then the next thing, Zach Brown has nothing interesting to say. It, only if you'd never watched an F1 race before would you be informed by Zach Brown's comments. He just comes out with utter mundane... It's generalities. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's we want to do well. Absurd. We hope to get the best result possible. Yeah. yeah. Alonso's trying to pass the guy in front of him. Well, thanks, Zach. I didn't get that idea. But And then, then finally we go back to commentary after like four minutes of this charade. And this race... It was going on at the point when the battle for the lead was at its closest, and we had zero commentary the entire time. Now, obviously, Lewis didn't get by, didn't make a big deal ultimately, but that, that to me is forced. They're doing something that's supposedly giving us greater access, but all it does is disrupt the race and provide no further insight for those of us who actually follow the sport and know a little bit about it. So, um, yeah, not a big fan of that. So we need to sort of pick and choose this greater access and make sure it's actually you know achieving its its goals which is providing greater insight inside the sport um otherwise you're better off just not doing it at all i think well i i i agree with you completely in fact and it it in my opinion no coincidence at all coincidence at all that uh zach brown is an american and uh so the american be like yeah sure i'll do that why why not and um i think that that uh that trope, that kind of idea of uh, having a conversation with the race director um, during the sessions would make a lot more sense and be interesting if it was race directors from different teams throughout the season. But the fact that it was always Zach Brown and that Zach Brown was obviously clearly unwilling to give up any any you know real discernible information, yeah, it, it rendered it useless and at times... Uh, damaging uh, to uh, the coverage, like you said, the commentary. And even worse than that, there's been a couple of radio transmissions that uh, we missed, we being the viewing public in the States, because uh, they were talking over it and they certainly weren't going to interrupt Zach Brown to get a radio message through. So um, I completely agree with you. And obviously, it's not going to be perfect. I'm not going to like everything they do, I'm sure. But... um, uh, you know, it just going back to the previous point, I was just getting a little bit frustrated with how much people were uh, exasperated by 
any change whatsoever. And while at the other side of the mouth talking about how much Formula One needs to change. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. But uh, you know, to the to the race itself, um, mm-hmm. let's let's just spend uh, spend a minute here um, because there was not a lot of on track action, but there were certainly were um, changes to the final driver standing and constructor standings as and a result can I of this race. Confidently, which one you were most excited about? Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> to buy you a warm beer, and I am so excited for that. Are you kidding me? Oh, I haven't even got. I haven't even got to that one. It's the fact that your <laughs> your favorite aged race driver. Hey, listen, <laughs> listen. Everyone knew that Kimi Raikkonen's the best. He's been sandbagging, and he just uh, decided to let loose just a little bit. There was no surprise there at all. Uh, no, I am. I am excited to get you that warm beer. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So actually, that's not what I wanted to lead with, though. It was the constructor standings and Renault <laughs> indeed overtaking Toro Rosso for six in the constructors. I mean, look at the results. Look where the Toro Rosso drivers finished. 15th, 16th. 15th and 16th. Mm-hmm. And where did uh, where did the former Toro Rosso driver finish? Um, 19th. Oh, well, he fair. did. Okay, that's fair. But yeah. he, <laughs> All right, but he was 6th. And seventh, Wally was running before they forgot to bolt on all four tires. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it to me, it was just, it was it was poetic justice that it happened on the final race. And, uh, you know, it was fascinating to me that um, one of their drivers could lose a wheel and have to be out of the race. And yet, they still, they still overtake the position because... Um, you know, Nico Hulkenberg pulls off another sixth place finish. Eight points go to him and to the team. And just like that, Nico moves up one or two places in the, I think, two places in the driver's standings. And, uh, you know, Renault moves up to sixth. And the number I've heard, it, the number I've heard is that they've earned an additional six and a half million dollars as a result. Yeah, if, I mean, it, it wouldn't have been any sweeter unless maybe Sainz had scored those points and then it really would have come back to bite them. STR's decision to release uh, their better driver um, to, <laughs> to their main rival in the Constructors' Championship. I mean, Renault have been threatening. I'm kind of surprised that STR ended up with 53 points, really, because you it's hard to look back at the season and remember them scoring so well. I can think of a lot more instances where Renault were well up there STR uh, less so, but clearly they managed to amass some points somewhere along the way. But Holkenberg has been threatening, you know, the odd sixth and seventh on many, many occasions. He hasn't had a great run recently, but he's sort of back to where he was even mid-season at Silverstone. He was in in that sort of position. So um, I think it's only fair that Renault finished in that spot, and it sh- shows that they, you know, with a proper with their proper team, uh, they've been hiring pretty strongly all season. <laughs> Uh, and with a stronger engine, they they could be quite a quite a threat for at least fourth place, uh, if not even higher next season. Yeah, no, it's entirely possible. It depends on where McLaren ends up with their Renault power plant uh, or power unit, excuse me, and uh, and also uh, where Williams will be in the hierarchy of things because they kind of they kind of ebb and flow. I feel like. Uh, you know, Williams is kind of the sine wave of the Formula One grid. They have their ups and downs, and uh, 
you know, we'll see if they're going to be on their way up or if they're still sliding further down um, at this point. Yeah, so I, I, it's hard to imagine STR will get anywhere near 53 points. I think it's going to be a great battle between them and Sauber to see who can get into the double digits um, over the course of the season. I suspect that um, Sauber will probably do the job and finish ninth and STR 10th. That is my earliest prediction for 2018. <laughs> yeah, I, and I'll tell you how surprised I am by that. Uh, none. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's – I, I do, of course, want to talk about Kiwi Raikkonen overtaking uh, Daniel uh, Ricardo for fourth in the Drivers' Championship. He, um, you know, he was – driving well in the Grand Prix, but so was Ricardo. And it wasn't going to be, it wasn't looking like it was actually going to happen. They were going to be, you know, maybe Raikkonen would gain a couple points, but he needed to gain, uh, he needed to gain eight points because Daniel Ricardo would win the tiebreaker. And, uh, and then the, the car just quits on him. And so that was a really disappointing way to see that end. Yeah, and Ricardo didn't take it that well, did he? I mean, he he had a strong weekend. He was well up on Verstappen, which hasn't been the case much since the summer break. Uh, and then his car breaks down. He loses fourth place in the Drivers' Championship. And I think his comment was something to the effect of, he should have beaten me by more. So clearly he didn't, uh, he wasn't happy. Um, and I, I can't really blame him. He had a poor run of luck uh, to end uh, the 17 season. But, you know, he still finished 32 points ahead of his teammate. Um, so not a bad effort all in all. Yeah, I think, you know, the most interesting thing about Ricardo is his worth um, in the Formula One circus for when contracts when contracts and, and uh, openings happen. You know, the two, obviously, the two big teams that are discussed these days are Mercedes and Ferrari. Um and, you know, again, I think Renault could be a sleeper team that actually be, proves quite competitive in the future. But I also think Renault has an incredibly strong ri- lineup. So I don't see that actually being an issue. Um, McLaren could be a, a much stronger team in the next year or two. But it'll be interesting to see if uh, when contracts do up, how much value does Ricardo have? And... Uh, what seats are available or if Red Bull is indeed still the seat to have. Yeah. I mean, the logical place for him to go is Ferrari, isn't it? After next season, but there's no way Vettel is going to allow that. Um, and you have to imagine that having had a very successful season with a more balanced driver lineup this, this year, Mercedes would be unlikely to want to upset the apple cart. Um, if Botas does a decent job again next year, so, um, so I suspect he might well end up staying at Red Bull when the dust settles, but we, we shall see. Yeah. You know, in the early mid fall, it was starting to look a little iffy for Botas. It's not like I thought he lost, he lost his ability to drive or wouldn't be able to recover, but you know, how much and how long was his down, uh, downside spiral going to last? And, uh, you know, he, he proved to be able to recover fairly strongly um, that, uh, you know, he his second place in Brazil and, you know, just as you said earlier, winning in a straight fight against Hamilton here in Abu Dhabi. Um, 
although this just in, there's breaking news. Um, uh, Jacques Villeneuve uh, said that <laughs> if he were Lewis Hamilton's teammate, he would have beaten him by at least 10 seconds. <laughs> and uh, and uh, had more champagne. So he still thinks, he says, uh, Valtteri Botas is a loser and uh, isn't fast enough to... Um, isn't fast enough to drive a taxi cab. That's a direct quote from my imagination. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not only would Villeneuve have beaten Hamilton, he would have recorded a top ten hit at the same time whilst wearing the baggiest overalls known to mankind. Yeah, he yeah, would have, he's he would a, have he's seen a the acoustic guitar <laughs> hanging out of the cockpit as he was driving. Yeah, he is a legend in his own mind. Um, yeah, it's a bit strange, really. Because everything I've read about his dad suggested he was a really great bloke. So I'm not quite sure what happened uh, with Jacques, but never mind. Well, I mean, that that gets into sadder things. I mean, how old was Jacques Villeneuve when his dad passed? Yeah, he was a little, he was a, he was a nipper, wasn't he? He was certainly, I think, yeah, a few, five, six years old. He was young. Yeah. I mean, father figures uh, are important, are important figures, uh, but uh, we don't need to go down that road. Um Especially because that humanizes Jacques Villeneuve, and I'd rather not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But, uh, okay, so it, it is hard to forgive him. We, we all feel bad that he lost his dad, but it is hard to forgive him when he constantly comes out with these uh, attacks. I mean, does he have anything positive to say about anyone? It's hard to ever read a soundbite from Jacques that's positive. It, it seems like he's a very negative sort of chap these days. I mean, days. think about what he said about his own uh, Quebecois mate. I mean, jeez. This is this is your own uh, this is your own province from your own country, and all he does is spew hate. You know, a poor old Lance Stroll, who's still a teenager, by the way. He's not in his twenties like Max Verstappen. Mm. I mean, Stroll isn't doing himself many favors, is he? Qualified fifteenth, uh, finished last of the running uh, of the runners in the race, and um, yeah, he hasn't had a great end of the season. Um, which is a shame for Lance, but um, maybe he'll come back stronger next year. Maybe so, maybe so. Okay, so real quick. So we had, obviously, Valtteri Botas, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel. That was the podium. And uh, that, that actually does remind me, Sebastian Vettel, again, once he's not in the car and the racing's over, he's just a perfect gentleman. You know, he had a lot of uh, kind words for the Mercedes crew and for Valtteri and Lewis in, in directly. And... Uh, you know he's he's just he's a good person, but just you know he's his reputation in the car is getting a bit spotty. But anyway, we had uh, Kiwi Raikkonen finishing fourth, Max Verstappen in fifth, Nico Rosberg sixth, um, and then we had the two Sports Indias, Sergio Sorry, ahead of Esteban. Who was in sixth? Nico Hulkenberg. What did I say? <laughs> Rosberg. <laughs> Man, you've got him no, on the brain tonight. No, you? Nico Rosberg. On? No, I was. Is your giant Nico Rosberg fathead looming over Nico you Rosberg what? is forever number one. <laughs> so I'm so sorry. That's a mistake. Yeah, no, it, it it was funny to me to see Nico Rosberg hanging out in the Mercedes uh, pits, though I have to say, and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was Nico Hulkenberg in six. He did brilliantly well, and then it was uh, Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon. Perez ahead of Ocon, um, and they didn't three, crash, and they did not crash. It feels like they're starting to get used to each other a little bit. Dare I say, mm-hmm. um, uh, Fernando ahead of Felipe Massa, who was tenth, 
And then then we got into the lead, um, Haas car, Romain Grosjean, Stoffel Van Dorn in 12th, Magnussen, the other Haas in 13th, Pascal 14th, Brendan 15th, Pierre Gasly 16th, and then, uh, as you said, Marcus Erickson and then Lance Stroll rolling out the field. So kind of sort of predictable-ish, but, um, you know, uh, as you said, I think people are aware of it and they and some change is going to come. And actually, um, that's something for you and I to talk about, maybe in a different podcast, but I'll be quite interested to see how um, things go at the French Grand Prix that's coming back in 2018. And Magni Corps? No, Paul Ricard. Oh, that's a relief. I hadn't actually read that because I, I was never a fan of Magni Corps. So good. That'll be uh, Paul Ricard's decent track, as I uh, as I believe. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, let's, I'm not wrong about let's that. go ahead and just leave it as as a sneak peek. Let's okay. have a longer conversation about that um, at a later podcast, um, because there is going to be a lot of off-season stuff to talk about. And uh, in the coming weeks and months and et cetera, et cetera, we're going to do that. But they're going to... Um, uh, le- Le Castellet, uh, June 24th, will be the race in France. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Coming back. Coming back. So, um, driver's standing, the championship points. Um, Kimi Raikkonen ended up five points ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, 205 points to Daniel Ricciardo's 200. 100 points behind his teammate, um, uh, Sebastian Vettel, 305, which was sad, but for me, the most interesting one was the fact that Nico Hulkenberg, with his uh, strong finish, actually moved up ahead of both Williams drivers to finish 10th in the Drivers' Championship. Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, Hulkenberg was there and thereabouts uh, uh, just outside um, the top three teams on many an occasion. And I think with a little bit more reliability, he'd have, uh, he'd have been able to fight with the Force India boys. So, uh, yeah, he had a strong season. He he uh, fended off sights in particular in this Grand Prix. He put him well in the shade. So um, he's a good driver, Hulkenberg. And I think um, as the Renner improves, so will his reputation further, I believe. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, and, you know, uh, Hulkenberg put in, uh, made quite the impression when it was uh, wet but drying conditions. Oh, gosh, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2012 um, in Brazil. And he put the Williams on pole. Um and that was Williams' first pole in quite a while. Uh, they since had another one or two with Felipe Massa. Well, at least one in, in Austria, pretty sure it was, uh, a couple years ago. But um, uh, so uh, Kimi Raikkonen did finish ahead of Daniel Ricciardo. Felipe Massa. <laughs> you got to just keep repeating that Well, one. <laughs> I'm now going down the list. Uh, <laughs> Felipe Massa... Um, Felipe Massa did stay ahead of Lance Stroll. In fact, gained a point on him. And uh, Mr. Fernando Alonso did, in fact, stay in 15th, stay ahead of Stossel, Stoffel Van Dorn, and, in fact, stretched his lead to four points instead of just two, um, which means you and I had a friendly wager, and I will hold true to that. It was a uh, an ice-cold, uh, high-end, fantastically wonderful gin and tonic against warm bitters. And uh, it sounds like Warm Bitters has won the day. Sounds delicious, especially on a cold, wintry Michigan December day. 
is it like uh, is it like the warmer the better? I mean, do you want it just warm and pungent? Uh, no, I like it um, just a little chilled cellar temperature, not uh, just come out of the freezer for thirty seconds temperature. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, but I swear the Brits like to keep their cellars at like ninety degrees. It, like that's like the one thing you keep the heat on, <laughs> you know. It, but it, why? Okay, this is this is going to be my. This is going to be my curveball. Yeah, (laughs) this is going to be my. Why do you refuse iced tea and ice cold beer? Why? They're 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 good that way. Both drinks. So I think. So look, look, you you live in a country. Warm beer. I'm. I think I'm going to make you drink an iced tea. All right. So it's very basic. Uh, You live in a country where in the summer, it's routinely ninety degrees, and uh, therefore cold beer is refreshing and enjoyable. And I enjoy a cold beer when it's 90 degrees as well. But when it's 55 degrees and you haven't seen the sun for a week, you don't really feel the need to drink something that's super chilled. So a little bit of chill and so you can still taste the beer is the key rather than having it hyper chilled so it tastes like cold water. Here's here's where you lose me. Okay. That's fair play, except that I've seen your gin and tonics. Always full of ice. Plenty cold, doesn't matter what the temperature is. So tell me, why don't you like your gin and tonics lukewarm as well? I don't, you see, I don't know who you've been drinking your G&Ts with, but I know people who drink it with less ice than it seems that uh, you drink it with. So um, that might be a particular Warner thing. I never, no, no. I never specified (laughs) number of cubes in my drinks. I would simply order... I'd say uh, pip pop, uh, gin and tonic, chap, and uh, I would get it. <laughs> I would get it just like anybody else would, and uh, you know, most of them thought I was English because of my spot-on English accent. No, I think when they realised you were a Midwesterner, they they scraped up all the ice they had in the entire <laughs> shop, right. put it in your glass for you because they know that's what you guys like. Yeah, I well, mean, you are fanatical about ice. Let's be honest. There's something about Americans and ice. Everything has to be chilled. And uh, that's great. If that's what uh, that's what you like, go for it. Can, um, I, can I tell you something, Chris? tend to like warm stuff. I'm As we speak right now, as we're recording this, I am drinking a hot tea. I would like With to know. In it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we Yeah, here in the States, in America, is the only place where you can get hot ice cubes. That's why, that's why America is so great. No, it's a hot tea. I even have it in my uh, thermos to keep it hot. Because it's a good time for hot drinks right now. I don't understand why 75 degrees and sunny is a good time for hot tea. Yeah. Look, you have to, you have to uh, spend enough time in a cold, dank, uh, rarely warm country to appreciate uh, um, why we like beer that's not very, very cold. Um, but British people in the main, when they're on vacation in hot countries like cold beer. So it's definitely related to the uh, the local temperature. Okay, but okay, all right. You, you've actually lived in the States for some time, and I know for a fact you've lived in Michigan for at least a couple of winters. I mean, it's not like, it's not like Michigan climate is much different than England's. In fact, it's probably colder in the winter. Yeah, no, it's absolutely freezing in January. And I don't drink really cold beer in January. Oh, boy. Well, clearly (laughs) one podcast is not going to be enough to solve this problem. So I will reluctantly move on from this topic 
um, with the full understanding that in your heart you know that I'm right about this. Um, is there anything that stood out about uh, the Abu Dhabi race or indeed the uh, 2017 Formula One season that you want to talk about? Well, it was um, it was a season of two halves, wasn't it? We had very close, uh, very tight championship battle that we've talked about on many occasions. And ultimately, it was won by almost two race wins. 46 points was the margin of victory, um, which was a shock. And, and it was, a, I think, in the main, a good season. It was a little disappointing that um, Ferrari imploded quite so spectacularly. But, um, but I enjoyed having a Ferrari renaissance and seeing uh, an inter-team battle um, again. So, so that, that was very enjoyable. And... Um, and I, you know, I was I was pretty tired of the Rosberg Hamilton championship battles, frankly. Uh, so it was good to have that mixed up a little bit. Um, but you know, it was it was a season that kept us guessing. I don't think anyone would have predicted Red Bull would have won quite as many races as they did. They were particularly strong, uh, especially in Max's hands uh, towards the end of the season, which bodes well for next year. So you know, we had a few different race winners. Um, we had uh, some new race winners. And I think all in all, it was a, it was a good season. I, I pretty much enjoyed most of it. To me, the highlight, the turning point of the entire championship happened in Hungary when uh, Vettel was aggressively blocking, you know, not, ba- basically not on the track so much, but just via tactics and pulling rank against Raikkonen. And Botas let Hamilton by to try to race those guys. And then Hamilton went through the efforts to give the position back. To me, that was a real, that was an emotional turning point in the championship for me. And I think that uh, the racing God shined down on Hamilton afterwards and uh, just made it an easy walk for him after that. Yeah, I mean, as you as you mentioned earlier, Vettel is a bit of a rough diamond, isn't he? He, he, uh, he did some great racing early in the season um, and was was probably more competitive than he should have been at certain tracks and um, was was a big part of why Ferrari were enjoying, you know, their most competitive season in some time. But then he goes and spoils it with some pretty ludicrous, you know, manoeuvres. Well, that Baku uh, incident. Baku uh, was, yeah, yeah, the worst. And then, I mean, the Singapore start was, oh, was okay. just yeah. Yeah. absurd, right? So... You know, it's sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other. He's, um, you know, he's incredibly talented, but then does these sort of boneheaded things that makes you wonder. And um, so it'll be interesting if he, if Ferrari can continue their their rich vein of form and cut out the the unreliability issues that struck them later in the season, and he can he can cut out the mistakes. I think they will they will um, be in with a very strong chance next season for sure. But I got a feeling 18 is going to be very competitive. I think there's going to be, you know, if if uh, if the McLaren Renault is is fast, uh, Alonso's going to going to be in the mix at certain tracks without a doubt. I think the Red Bull guys will be very competitive next year again, and so it could be it could be a great season next year. There's one more thing to say about 2017, and you actually mentioned earlier uh, that uh, NBC actually gave us, you know, pretty darn decent coverage. Uh, you know, clearly they don't have the same budget as the UK does, and uh, you, that reflects in what the coverage is. But 
you know, they gave an honest effort. I particularly liked uh, Will Buxton as a great on-the-ground uh, interviewer, asking questions, had interesting insights, uh, you know, paid good attention to the weather and tire and other influences that uh, might not be right on the surface. And uh, NBC is not going to be covering Formula One next year. They lost the contract to ESPN. So uh, it's going to be a new group of guys. Uh, David Hobbs is retiring full stop. Um, Steve Matchett is uh, a little bit of an unknown. Lee Diffie, he's tied to NBC. So I don't think he's going to be back. And I don't know what Will Buxton's future is either. So it's going to be very interesting to see what ESPN ESPN does differently and whether it's uh, enjoyable or not. Well, I can't think of any form of motor racing that ESPN covers because uh, CBS has a number of different motorsport shows here. Um, I think Fox shows quite a bit of particularly NASCAR, but uh, ESPN's better known for their football and basketball coverage, right? I mean, and I mean they do a little bit of tennis, but I don't think I've watched much motor racing at all on ESPN, so that's complete unknown. Well, ESPN is. Uh a lot of sport overall um, for a long time ESPN and ABC covered a lot of IndyCar um, but that the last couple of years has also been NBC so uh, and I have heard nothing about uh, NBC losing IndyCar in fact there's a good guess that Lee Diffie will be calling a lot of IndyCar races with that in mind but you know ESPN has a history uh, for a long long time ESPN and ABC uh, covered IndyCar and the Indy 500 and those kinds of things. So they have some history, and uh, it's not as if they've never they have no experience with this. But it is definitely an unknown of what effort they're going to put into Formula One coming in 2018. So it's it's a risk. I, I don't think there's other way another way to say it. But given that Liberty Media is an American outfit and they're trying to add more access. I can't imagine that they're going to allow ESPN to phone it in, as it were. Well, I remember what... So I've been here actually since 1999. And I remember a couple of seasons, it wasn't shown on any US channel at all. And um, you'd get, you know, a couple of the marquee races being shown. And I, I got a horrible feeling it was ABC. And what they did was, for the first half of the race, they caught you up with what had happened in all the races prior to that one. So you actually saw nothing at the first <laughs> half of the race. Yeah. And then they'd, you know, they'd mix in the odd driver bio, and then it would be, uh, this guy won. So you actually saw no, none of the race at all. It was an absolute disaster. So let's hope that doesn't happen, because that will be, uh, that'll be a problem. Well, I think that more or less wrapped things up for Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I do want to say that I'm going to work really hard to not repeat uh, what the what Fun with Cars has done in the past. I, I hope to stay very active podcasting, continuing to bring news, um, and uh, if, if I'm lucky, you'll still hear from me on a very regular basis. And I do uh, I want to take a minute to really give a heartfelt thank you to uh, you, Mr. Roche. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, hosting the show and having you on to co-host with me. I've really enjoyed your insights. I've had a lot of fun and it's been, it's been good. I don't like Rosberg that much, but it's been so much fun to, 
to uh, uh, poke fun and to ask you questions about uh, Englishisms and uh, all that kind of thing. You know, uh, you know, England is a country that I hold quite dear and is also the mecca of Formula One, essentially. So I hold it in very high regard. So it's been a lot of fun having those conversations with you. And I just want to take a moment to thank you very much for participating in uh, in this little hobby of mine. Oh, thank you, Robin. I mean, no, I have to I have to say thank you for letting me uh, come and give my my Lewis love, uh, you know, a wider <laughs> audience. Um, That's right. No, it's been a lot of fun for me. I enjoy I enjoy talking about Formula One uh, very much, and and um, we do seem to be strangely uh, on the same page this season because we've had I think slightly more differing views in previous years. This year we've kind of been thinking along the same lines for many races, but. Uh, but no, it's been great. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, thank you very much. Look forward to doing it again. Well, I plan on having you on uh, as often as as it works out. Alas, we are both adults with jobs and children. So that makes it a little bit harder. But uh, I do want to also thank very, very much all the fans that uh, have continued to listen. You know, uh, Fun With Cars has gone through a lot of change over the last couple of years. And, uh, I really appreciate people sticking with us. And, uh, I just very much want to thank you for listening. And if you could please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get your podcasts. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash FW cars. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye.